0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse.
1: Great savings every day.
0: And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food.
1: Absolutely fantastic!
2: Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. Yours, Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. And what a history-making week it's been for that very world game in this country. First edition news with Willem van Denver and Shorty, including all the latest on the Matildas after their thrilling win over France, plus a brief update on the news around the world with the major European competitions all but now up and running. And of course, our former ITN journo-turned-pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. But first up, as we record this week's episode, we're in the eye of the Women's World Cup storm. Before us... The heady night in Brisbane is fresh in our memory, the night the Matildas took Australia on a magic carpet ride which resulted in victory over world football powerhouse France in a penalty shootout that has already locked itself in as an iconic sporting moment in this country. Ahead, the Matildas re-enter the Tempest against the Lionesses, stalking their and prey and ready to burst out of the undergrowth. Go one step closer to the pantheon of England's greatest sporting heroes. To find out what it's been like from the inside, we'll talk to one of Australia's most experienced big, big event voices, Tracy Holmes from the ABC. Then we'll chat to Charlotte Harper from The Athletic, who we talked after England's wobbly opening match where they were lucky to escape with a draw against Haiti. But as all eventual World Cup champions do, they've found a way to get the results they need. And unlike their success in the Euros where they took their own nation on what resulted in a glorious ride, this time they're under the radar in Australia. And with the only female manager left in the tournament, Serena Viedman, they're here to spoil the party. Last time we spoke to Charlotte wasn't confident They had the goods to back up their continental title with a World Cup one. It will be fascinating to see what she thinks this time around. So, Edge, you've been involved in the game for 35 years. What were your emotions on Saturday evening when the results started to sink in?
3: It's a good question, Rob. My immediate thoughts were for all the people that I've shared my journey with in the football game, the volunteers, um, the people that have, um, especially the people in the old NSL days, when soccer, as it was called then, was viewed negatively by the mainstream Australian uh, populace, so I thought about those people in particular who must be like me, just smiles, you know, from ear to ear and then I obviously thought about, um, does this actually feel what it's supposed to feel like when mm. football is starting to reach its potential, is this what it feels like? I had that sort of thought and then obviously it was just for the, the players and the families, having worked with uh, the Matildas families for the last couple of World Cups, you know, I was thinking of the Rassos and the Fowlers and Hunts just the sacrifices the families make to get their girls, and women uh, to into this position. It's just extraordinary. They've had, uh, you know, it's been well documented, the journey the team has had. But the families in particular, I just, uh, my, my thoughts were, were with them and uh, just how much, how they uh, were feeling. And then in the, in the days after the text messages going backwards and forwards with players' families it was it was really special. So that, that were my thoughts, Rob. It was just an incredible Experience and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Tracy Holmes, and I want to ask her a similar question.
2: Excellent. All right. Well, why don't we get Willem to get us started with the news, and uh, and we'll kick it all off, eh, mate?
4: Thank you, Rob. Just an extraordinary night. A few of the details: Uh, the Matildas are, of course, through to a semi-final against England. A 20-kick penalty shootout that sets the record for either a men's or women's World Cup. Mackenzie Arnold and Courtney Vine thrust into Australia's sporting consciousness. It's six all, and it's Vicky Besheau just 19 years old and hits the post and for the third
1: time Australia are one successful
4: penalty away Courtney Vine at her first World Cup can write the Matildas into history. The new old draw with France was decided by the longest shootout ever running. What was a pretty torturous uh, 17 minutes, Rob. Twice the Matildas had the chance to seal it, but missed. One of those was through Mackenzie Arnold, who stepped up for the uh, for the fifth penalty, but uh, hit it like a goal kick, but unfortunately put it into the post. She also then had her save off Kenza Daly recalled before saving it again. So many heroes, Rob. Uh, but Gory Carpenter and Yallop, they all held their nerve when a miss would have proved fatal. And then Arnold really did run the full gamut, but came up chumps eventually. But some of those penalties,
2: uh, I mean, the Gory one in particular, I, I thought it didn't go in until I saw her reaction. I thought, hang on, that did go in. It was amazing the, 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 the degree of subtlety around each individual penalty.
4: I really struggle with that broadcast angle. Am I allowed to say that? I think the yeah. old traditional one that we had forever and a day and there was never a single issue with it was perfectly fine. Now we have the spider mm-hmm. cam. They can get right in behind the kick takers back. Uh, Derek, I, uh, I battle with it. There was that one and there was the other one where Arnold had the faintest little touch mm-hmm. onto the post and it spat back at the camera. I couldn't tell if it was in or not, Derek. Yeah, it
1: also makes the goal look really small, doesn't it? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it actually makes it a, little more da- a lot more daunting than it actually is. Yeah, I'm a big. I'm a. I'm more of a fan of the side-on or 45 degree angle. Um, but don't. But, but
2: don't you think it gives us the perspective of the the penalty taker from from that angle?
1: Um, I'm not sure, really, because I don't think. I think the goal looks a lot smaller than it than it actually
2: is. Um, but don't you think if you were taking a penalty to win a World Cup quarterfinal, that you would think mentally that the goal looked a lot smaller than it really is?
1: Oh, it spend on your state of mind, would not it, Rob? What would your state of mind be? Having not done that, I scored my last penalty that I took, <laughs> and I just uh, picked my spot and stayed true to that. And the goals are definitely a lot smaller in the, the game that I play. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm just with William. I just think the side on just gives the overall
4: the overall best view. Um, I almost felt slightly queasy watching it from behind. I felt sick for the full seventeen minutes. It seemed to take um, it seemed to take so long. One who Looked to have a a sharper state of mind, a more determined state of mind than most was Vine Rob. A few of them stepped up, and for both sides, it didn't look particularly nervous. There was none that you'd pick out going, geez, they really didn't want the moment. But Vine, having seen, uh, having seen. Claire Hunt and Mackenzie Arnold missed chances to win it. Um, wasn't going to muck around with her uh, with her third attempt for the win.
2: One of the points she did make in the post match in the mix zone, though, was that she felt the pressure was off because Mackenzie Arnold had set the scene up to the point where it wasn't a um, a do or die shot. So she said she felt that she had the pressure off. Uh, all that said, she still did have to take the kick and uh, and executed it brilliantly. And uh, and for someone of her nature, particularly for a, a, a women's A league player from the dub, um, you know, she uh, she was um, uh, just the right person to do it under the circumstances, I thought.
4: Yeah, she's had a feel for the tournament. She started a couple of games early. She's come off the bench. It shows that uh, it really is an all-squad mentality whenever you're required, um, whichever player it might be. He, Gustafson hasn't rotated his squad as much as he could have certainly not calling him out for you know making the wrong decisions although i think we'd address that he did make a few blues against nigeria but he hasn't rotated his squad he hasn't had players sort of feeling like they could have been in it for nothing if that makes sense has been Mm -hmm. particularly against the denmark game i thought he could have rolled a few through that uh, that hadn't played just to feel part of it and feel in it if they were to be required but um yeah can't argue with him having gotten the balance right to this point
2: well, one of the points he did make in again the post-match was that the players are largely European players and they're used to put turnarounds and used to multiple games in a week. So that's the mentality he's uh, he's going with. And so, you know, if, if you compare it to Vigman, to admittedly during the Euros she did, um, you know, have uh, her her, uh, her go-to subs at, at around that 60-minute mark. But, you know, when she won the Euros for England, uh, they started with the same 11 every time. It seemed to work for them.
4: England's Lionesses do await on Wednesday night after they come from behind. Win over Colombia put them into the semi finals for the third straight World Cup. Wegmans side conceded the opener to Lucy Santos but hit back through Lauren Hemp and Alessia Rosso, ending the brilliant tournament of their opponents. England will be without Lauren James for the semi finals as she serves the second of her two match ban. Should England win, she would be uh, then available for the final. Derek, before I throw to you a little bit of history, uh, the history of England at the Women's World Cup. They made the quarterfinals in '95, 2007 and 2011. So it took for the third, uh, it took the, th- the fourth opportunity for them to, uh, to get through to the semis, which they did so in 2015 and 2019. Uh, in 2015, they did lose 2-1 to Japan before beating Germany for third place. Uh, and in 2019, they lost 2-1 to the USA before losing 2-1 to Sweden by the same scoreline.
1: What's quite exciting, I suppose, is that there will be a new name on the trophy.
4: The last previous winner to be knocked out was Japan. And outside of Australia, Rob, this was perhaps the surprise result going down to Sweden. Uh, Sweden a little bit more physical. They got themselves out to a 2-0 lead. Japan missed a penalty as they looked to claw back in. Uh, They also had another chance go begging. You just could not believe that the ball stayed out off the crossbar into the back of the goalkeeper and then onto the post and out. Uh, They did get one in the end, but probably just needed uh, another five minutes and they would have found the equaliser. They were coming like a train, but Japan, 11 goals scored, none conceded in the group stage, looked to be uh, certainly one of the best four teams, if not the best team in it, and they haven't made uh, it past the final eight. Sweden, who we know are no mugs, uh, yeah, perhaps the uh, surprise result there, and then Spain defeating the Netherlands in the other quarter final, Really gripping into this match. It was a little bit here nor there for, for the bulk of it, but then one all at the death, and then two one in extra time, and a couple of really lovely goals to round it out.
2: A lot of the analysis that I heard talked about the uh, the, the the physical uh, nature of Peddie Gerhardsen's side, the, the fact that they played tall and and made the. Japanese look small in, in 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 every sense of the word. Uh, that the game plan, he said, uh, you know, few thought it would be as effective as it turned out. Um, uh, it, we had a good game plan, and we, we we knew it was good enough to win. So, yeah, you, you got to feel sorry for for the the Japanese women. They didn't get the chance to to showcase their skills in the um in the World Cup at home because of uh, the COVID circumstances, and they they never got to wa- ride that wave and and didn't enjoy any success at all in that tournament. They were meant to be and were one of the most impressive teams in this tournament uh, but weren't able to lift on the day. Perhaps uh, their best results are ahead of them. But if you're talking about – pure football strategy and executing a game plan, the Swedish other team, I'm sort of hoping that we, if we do get through England, don't play them in the final because, you know, how often, and this, I guess, goes for England as well, do you win in a friendly and then lose when it really counts? So in the case of both England and Sweden, Australia have beaten both in the most recent friendly. So, you know, it's going to be the same scenario play out on Wednesday night and potentially in the final if we get that far.
4: Loads of Women's World Cup to come throughout the show. We'll drop off it momentarily, though, and head to the Premier League, which kicked off over the weekend. Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham tenure commenced with a 2 all draw at Brentford. Both a high-tempo attacking game and a rather susceptible defence were on the table. Three days after the departure of Harry Kane to Bayern Munich, Postacoglu handed four players starting debuts under the leadership of new captain Son Heuvenson min Still with a game to play, the big winners of the opening weekend were Newcastle and Brighton after 5-1 and 4-1 victories, respectively. And Derek, the top two from last year, Manchester City and Arsenal, both first-up winners as well.
1: City obviously put their marker down early with their 3-0 win over Burnley, but uh, you know they probably would have felt at that point that they had a good chance of finishing the weekend top of the league. But... It does look like Newcastle with the 5-1 steamrolling of Aston Villa. Aston Villa, of course, one of the fancied, um, fancied teams this season as well to, to do something of a ball well. Uh, as for Arsenal, yeah, uh, I think it's important to get a win on the board. I think the, the gulf between the two teams is a lot bigger than the scoreline suggested. Uh, but, yeah, they were holding on a little bit at the end at the end of there, um, but yeah, a, win, a win's a win for now and, and yeah, very entertaining for Spurs without without Kane and um, you know, sorry to say, I've been kicking my heels and punching there all
4: weekend after I saw him in that Munich shirt what excellent news <laughs> And uh, poor Harry's gone and within three days of joining the club where he wants to win trophies, Derek, he's played in the uh, in the cup final and they've lost at 3-0 yeah, no, that would have been absolutely classic. I mean, actually, it was
1: win-win for me because had he won, that would have been the funniest thing of all time with Harry Kane winning a trophy on his first day uh, at Bayern Munich. But I can now point to the Spurs contagion heading over to Bavaria now and, and, and they've all of a sudden adding Harry and all of a sudden they're getting the yips against the lowly Leipzig. So, yeah, um, it's a bit, it's a big move for him. You know, he's come out and said that you know, he didn't want to have any regrets. Um, certainly going to be a few having spent a decade at Tottenham. But, yeah, he's, he's now got, uh, you know, a chance to eke out something from his career. He'll he'll certainly make Bayern better. They really struggled to replace Robert Lewandowski last se- season. Sadio Mane was not the answer. I suspect Harry Kane probably is the answer for them. So I don't think it'll be long before he's up and running in Bundesliga and uh, the Champions League as well, him,
4: Australia Cup... Mackenzie Arnold, we're all talking about her, Rob, for the right reasons, but Andrew Redmayne has sent a reminder that he's still the king of penalties in Australia, saving two spot kicks and burying the winner to see Sydney FC pass the Mariners. The sides were locked at two all at full time and three all after extra time. Sydney won at 10-9 after Redmayne saved the effort of Mariners keeper Jack Wyshorski before sealing the deal.
3: Jack Wyshorski against Andrew Redmayne. Moment of truth. Saved! This is it. If Andrew Redmayne That's right, scores the penalty. Sydney FC are through to the next round of the Australia Cup.
4: Elsewhere, Melbourne City needed a 94th minute winner from Alessandro Lapane to defeat Oakley Cannons and Heidelberg made of work of Morton Bay 3-0 winners on the road. And a quick mention for Lockie Book, the first player to score five goals in an Australia Cup national level fixture. He did so on debut for the Western Sydney Wanderers in a 6-1 win over Floriate Athena. We'll jump to Socceroos Central for the Green and Gold Army. Our national team's absolutely flying, Rob, so why not dream of an Asian Cup victory in Qatar come January? If the Socceroos are to do it, They'll need your support. Head to ggatravel.com.au and register your interest in cheering on the boys in Doha in January 2024. I want to start with Harry Sutar The bad news, his future at Leicester doesn't look particularly good. Left out of the squad altogether as they had a 1-0 win at Huddersfield. Their manager, Enzo Maraska, has said the big man could be on his way out before the transfer window closes, linked to either Rangers or Celtic. Rob, that hasn't gone particularly well at all, relegated and possibly out the door.
2: Yeah, I guess at least he'll always be able to say he played in the Premier League. Um, we uh, know what Harry's capable of and uh, and have seen him do it uh, at the highest level internationally and be a, an influential player, just what it is that he, he hasn't been able to bring to a team like Leicester who admittedly have started the championship well. Um, the new manager scenario is always one that uh, they want to make a point. They don't want to necessarily stick with players that the previous manager brought in. And, uh, and sometimes, you, Derek, uh, is it fair to say that... that uh, unless you're uh, the superstar who, who chooses to stay, that that somebody is potentially going to be the the head on the chopping block uh, to. To make a point.
4: Staying in the championship, Sam Silvera made his starting debut for Middlesbrough but with Riley McGree on the bench, they had a shocker. 3-0 losers to Coventry City. Better news though, Ipswich Town are top. Masluongo and Cameron Burgess continuing to play key hands and to close in Japan, Kevin Muskett's Yokohama F Marinos sits second on goal difference after 23 played, 11 matches to go. Mitch Langerak and Nagoya are third, two points off the lead and Pete Klamovsky's FC Tokyo sit 10th, Rob? Yeah, if you've got Optus and,
2: and you're not uh, taking the time to at least Watch some of the highlight packages of the J League, then um, you've got to do yourself a favour and, and get onto it, and and stay across at the very least what uh, what Yokohama FC are doing. It, it's just a massive, massive. Competition that J League, the uh, the colour and the vibrancy, the the quality of the players. Uh, uh, Kevin Musket is is doing excellent things coming off the back of a title winning season, and to to be sitting uh, just second on goal difference right now is uh, is is an excellent managerial effort. So uh, so regardless of what you thought of Musket as a player, he's uh, he, he is a manager uh, of quality and, and doing excellent things over there in the J League. All right, Willem Derek. Well done. has has gone off to get himself a Tosca. He'll be back after the break because we're going to talk to our friend from the. ABC, Tracy Holmes. We talked to Tracy a few times in the lead up to the tournament. We were just wondering how the whole thing was bubbling along. It just didn't feel like uh, the country had gotten into it or knew what to expect well they do now and Tracy's right in the guts of it we'll talk to her next on Box to Box yes it's time to talk Chemist Warehouse stock up and save right now at Chemist Warehouse there's INC plant protein 2 kilograms for 52.49 Willem uh, you into your protein you like to get to the gym
4: mate yep I certainly do Rob and always uh, know that at the end of the session I can jump into some of that protein powder always uh, having acquired it for a good discount thanks to our friends at Chemist Warehouse
2: exactly Bondi Protein Coast Limit in one kilogram range for thirty seven ninety nine each. While you're there, save. Well, I talked to Derek Lee about this last week. Vapor Vaporub, extra strong ointment, 100 grams, just fourteen sixty nine. Every family with a couple of young kids needs Vicks Vaporub, Derek. Yeah,
1: I can attest that because I'm doing the podcast ill. I've got one nose blocked at the moment, so I will no doubt need Vapor Vaporub a little later on.
2: Yeah, get it under the nose, bit on your chest, and even say put some under the... Do you the, remember uh,
1: Patrick Vieira playing for Arsenal? He used to have a... Big dot of it right on the middle of his chest, and it was about opening up his airways as it was painful. So, even the great man uh, used uh, used the old paper
2: uprop. Exactly, and if he was in Australia, he would have bought it from Chemist Warehouse. Fast hay fever. I'm not sure you got hay fever right now. Relief 180 milligrams, 70 tablets for $29.99. Chemist Warehouse, always supporting box to box. Mario Tascani, one of the great men of uh, of Australian retail. Chemist Warehouse has been fantastic with us since day one. Great savings every single day.
0: Box to box. Can you- For Chemist Warehouse.
1: Great savings
0: every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food.
1: And this could be
2: the most
3: crucial goal of all.
2: This is Box to Box. Before the tournament began, we were all just sitting on the edge of our seats, wondering when the lid was going to blow off, um, wondering if it was going to blow off at times, because the closer we got, it, it sort of felt like the rest of the country wasn't coming quite along for the ride. And... And we wondered, uh, is this going to happen the way we expected? What's it going to be like if it does happen? Um, Is it going to be as uh, big as we hoped? Well, it's well and truly exceeded all expectations. And the lady that we spoke to about that very subject before the tournament, the ABC's Tracy Holmes, the ticket podcast. Tracy, welcome back to the show. Um, Is this beyond your wildest expectations?
0: It's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, when you think about the number of people, the huge number of people that have turned up for every match, not just Matildas matches, but for every match and supporting every nation that's been here. And now we're at the pointy end of the tournament and you've got other football grounds streaming matches of the Matildas into their codes and their games. Uh, now you've got empty football stadiums opening up their gates for the semifinal. There's a possibility that there will be three full football venues in one city to watch one game. I mean, talk about record-breaking. It's just phenomenal. But the conversations, people who have never had any previous interest in sport, people who've never even heard of the Matildas, suddenly – the Matildas have become their kid sister. They have become, mm-hmm. you know, their latest um, child. E- everyone is just in adoration of this team and, and the environment around the World Cup. It's phenomenal.
2: Not all of those uh, newcomers to the bandwagon, of which there's still plenty of room. We'll find out how much more room on Wednesday night. Um, we'll be aware of just how close Tony Gustafsson went to the abyss. Uh, it, it felt As the group stages were coming to a conclusion, and I know Michael and I sat there at uh, Melbourne Rectangular Stadium, Mamie Park, um, and looked at each other before the game, and we were just uncertain. Is this going to happen? Can Canada uh, go to spoil the party and uh, is Tony going to be given his marching orders tomorrow? But he's suddenly sitting comfortably on side of old mate Gus Hiddink right now already, and uh, he's about to, to go past him into sort of John Bertrand territory. (laughs)
0: I love all of these different sporting analogies. And, Mm. you know, it is pretty phenomenal. I know after that um, first up loss and the look on that coach's face, he looked incredibly pale. He looked stressed. His voice seemed thin. And I thought, poor Tony, like what is he dealing with? We only know what's on the outside. What's really going on on the inside? But, oh, my god the belief that he has always had in this team and the strength that he's helped build in this team, he and every single one of the players has bought into and fully believe. They believe each other and um, in each other and in themselves to a degree that I've not seen before. But not only that, to see them play with such joy, to see the ones on the bench enjoying what is happening I mean, it's just incredible. You know, we talk about families a lot and this team talks about families a lot. Tony Gustafson talks about families a lot. But we all know that within families there are people that you get on with and people you don't get along with. But what they seem to have is such a tight group. Tracy, uh, you've covered this team
3: like we have, um, multiple World Cups, so you've lived a journey yourself. Just indulge us for a moment. What did you feel when uh, Courtney Vine slotted home that uh, penalty? (laughs) Just tell us, uh, where were you? what did you do and what did you think about?
0: <laughs> so I just before full time, regular time, I had to run outside the stadium in Brisbane to do live crosses into all of the 7pm bulletins around the country, which was kind of freaking oh me God. out no end because I thought we're going into extra time and you're telling me I'm going to do a live report about a match I'm now not in. And I could keep hearing, you know, the the rise and the fall of the crowd. I'm like, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. Uh, anyway, I finished those um, pretty much as the penalty shootout was about to begin. So I just raced back in the, not the media area, I just raced back in the the door with the punters and I stood at the back of one of the stadiums and I was uh, at the end of one of the um, ends and I was looking straight at the goal that they were kicking into And I saw the whole thing and I was conscious of watching everybody around me. And it was so wonderful because, again, it was the rise and the fall and there were little kids who were beside themselves, like boys and girls, clasping their hair and running in circles because they just didn't know how to deal with this moment and this pressure. There were mums with babies in prams trying to tell the kid in the pram, it's okay, stop crying, it's okay, I've got to watch this shot. <laughs> it was quite phenomenal. Um, fathers, grandfathers, you know, adults jumping up and down and then the moment of despair when we'd miss one, it was so phenomenal. And so in moments like that, um, I never think about what I'm feeling. I'm so busy watching everybody and, and trying to absorb that mood and it is the best thing. I, I felt like I was just watching 49,500 people living a moment they might not have ever lived before and may never live again. What about the television numbers? I mean, you,
3: people like you and I and Rob and all our listeners on this podcast who've been invested in the women's football journey, um, I don't think this event has surprised us in terms of we knew how big it was going to be. But one thing that has surprised me has been, it's not a tidal wave. It's a tsunami of viewers, whether it's uh, the terrestrial television or the streaming services. Um, it's been just extraordinary, the numbers. What are your thoughts on just how impactful this team, I just sense that Australia is starting to understand the international reach of this, of this sport?
0: You know, I think for a long time... And if you asked SBS in the early days of them covering the FIFA Women's World Cup, they always got record ratings for their coverage of the the Women's World Cup, but the rest of the media weren't really following it. And I think the population for a long time has understood what the world game is and what a FIFA World Cup is and how important it is. Because if you think about our population, what is it? 51% have a parent born somewhere else. That's 51% of families who have a heritage that is another country. And what is the world game? There's only one world game and it's football. So they would all bring that with them. So I know it's always been there, but I don't think we've reflected it in the media adequately. And so it's led us to this kind of perception that People don't care or AFL's bigger or NRL's bigger. But I think in these big moments, it's been revealed a number of times that people want to tune in for the world game because we know how important it is. And that has been well and truly reflected here. But as every other facet of the media in Australia jumps on board and starts giving more coverage and highlighting it more, I mean, just what a swell there is. And I feel like actually it's the media that's been late to this story as opposed to the general public. And so by the media jumping on board, it's ignited what has always sat there, sometimes dormant in in you know some of the general public and the mainstream. But the media coverage is phenomenal. But not only that, to think that other codes um, who possibly not only downplay football um, but try their best to downplay it because they know it's a threat, being the true global game, have been forced to broadcasting broadcast Matilda's matches at their own games uh, in order to make sure that the crowds turn up. That's incredible. It's and incredible. we're talking about a women's team, you know? That is incredible too. And I feel like you know, if you, you want to go back even to something like Julia Gillard, you know, our first female and only female Prime Minister at this point, but her misogyny speech and about what so many women have had to deal with in, in this country, with a lot of people not really understanding the depth of that. But I think what this Matilda's team has done and with everybody coming on board like that and the AFL and the NRL and everybody else, we have flipped something. Like there's a whole lot of other things happening in this country right now, and and the world, you know, there there are disasters at every turn. You know, people living in Maui at the moment who've lost everything. Uh, you've got wars happening in other places. You've got famine happening in other places. You've got coups taking place. I mean, the the America is is eating itself. There's so much happening. And here in Australia, we've always been so lucky, we've managed to outride so many things that impact the rest of the globe in a big way. But we're having housing stress. We've got people who are really struggling uh, to make ends meet and wondering if they can make their next mortgage payment. We've got all of this happening. And at the same time that this happens, you've got this incredible event with a team that everybody loves, They're, they're superstars in what they do, but they're ordinary Australians in their nature. You know, they are still so normal. Um, They are still so approachable. And the public has tapped into that. I think FIFA keeping the prices down and a family can go and watch a World Cup football match for the same price as it might be to buy one ticket to go to one of the other codes. Um, You know, all of this stuff is playing in to this moment and people are ready to celebrate something and they want to celebrate something uh, together as a community, as one. Um, and it's brought the country together because we've been having some pretty divisive conversations of our own in this country and being able to, to celebrate this incredible group of athletes and women at this amazing world-class event. It's incredible.
2: It doesn't feel like Regardless of what happens, uh, uh, no one in their wildest imagination could think that we're going to get thumped on Wednesday night and we're going to be embarrassed. So that that let's just say that's not going to happen. It's going to be a competitive match. Uh, it's going to be um, a, a nail biting, and uh, and we all hope the Matildas win, but they might lose. Um, it doesn't feel like, regardless of what the outcome is, that um, that we've um, we've had uh, any lesser tournament than than we'd hoped we could possibly have.
0: Yeah, totally. And also, like, even before um, the round of 16 clashed, people, you know, as you stand outside waiting to do <laughs> live crosses, the number of people that come up and just want to have a chat about it because they've loved it. And the reaction even then was even if they lose, like, oh, gee, they're winners, you know, they're such a great team and it's all been worth it and we're going to celebrate them anyway. And they got through that and they got through the quarterfinals. So I don't think, like... It, it's always awful when a team gets knocked out. So let's say, I don't think it's going to happen, but if they if they do get beaten by England, I don't think there's going to be a period of national mourning. I think there's still going to be an incredible celebration because they've already, you know, become our best ever when it comes to, you know, senior World Cups. Uh, just amazing. And I think that mood, um, it's almost a mood of generosity because it doesn't rely on winning And I think that's also what's been so different around some of the atmosphere of these games. The celebration that Australia has had at every match, no matter who is playing, is just phenomenal. And it's a really fantastic, positive vibe. And it's certainly one that the Matildas have been riding on you know to see Mackenzie Arnold in goal the other day and I don't like booing but you know I understand <laughs> when everyone started booing before the French took their right. kicks and and she was like you know using her finger like louder 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 she was really riding on that energy and that atmosphere and um I think yeah I just think no matter what happens at any point from here on in that mood of celebration and that positive energy and that generosity is going to continue
2: yeah the genie's out of the bottle it's not going back in don't think so tracy holmes the abc the ticket podcast if you haven't listened to the ticket podcast there's a has so far been daily episodes covering the entire tournament if you want to recap jump into it and have a listen tracy's got some of the best guests on and and some of the best insights sort of just straight out of the tournament. So it's great to pick your brains and get a feeling for uh, the way you've reacted and um, and just uh, what the, the personal experience and your broader opinions are. So thanks again and uh, enjoy the, the final few days. And, um, geez, I, I, I hope you don't have to do that cross again.
0: And sound um, like you're happy to be there. It's like, well, they crossed you, the World Cup's happening. It's like, no, it's all happening in there. I'm standing yeah. here by myself with a cameraman and I'd much rather be in But, um, look, always love talking to you. Thanks for having me. Great,
2: Tracy Tracy Holmes. Yeah, excellent. Okay, stick around. Uh, We are going to talk to Charlotte Harper from The Athletic after the break. Uh, We talked to Charlotte three weeks ago, and uh, she uh, she was not that confident after that Haiti win. Let's find out what she thinks. Stick around. Charlotte Harper next on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great
1: savings every
0: day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food.
1: And this could be
4: the most crucial goal of all.
2: This is box to box. It's just not going to go all our own way just because we wanted to. There's there's the small matter of having to defeat the old enemy. Um, and uh, we didn't manage to do that in the ashes. We thought we were going to do it. It ended up being a, a split decision. Um, so some of us are considering this is the uh, the tiebreaker, uh, and uh, and and somebody who we talked to three weeks ago uh, about uh, England's campaign at the very outset, uh, Charlotte Harper from the Athletic joins us again, and uh, it's a delight to be talking to you back home uh, in the UK. Charlotte, how are you?
5: I'm very well, thanks, Rob, and I'm excited for this uh, semi-final.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as we say, three weeks on from our last conversation, where England had a less than convincing start against Haiti, but They've worked their way into the tournament, overcome adversity, and it's the semi-final the organisers had hoped for. I know every uh, English person and Aussie, if they'd been looking ahead in the draw, were hoping that this was going to happen now rather than the round of sixteen where it could have. So we look at this from a, a, a sensible point of view. The Lionesses are clear favourites with the bookies going into the match, and equal with Spain to take the title. So how would you describe the England side of today compared to the one? That won the Euro title just over 12 months ago.
5: In terms of personnel, quite different. So, four key injuries to England captain Leah Williamson, um, golden boot winner Beth Mead, Ellen White, striker who retired, and Frank Kirby, who played in the number 10 role in midfield. So, they're all out. And if you compare the lineup uh, against Germany in the Euros final last year, to the lineup against Colombia. Um, there are four changes. So Jess Carter and Alex Greenwood come into the defense, uh, and Alessia Russo and Ella Toon start, whereas they were substitutes last year. So personnel is different. Also, formation is different. And I know we're going to come on to that, but Serena Wiegmann set a record by naming the same starting 11 for every Euros match last year. And we, she, she got a reputation for being a stickler of not changing, um, but Wiegmann changes when it's appropriate. And when she sees that are problems on the pitch, she, she will tweak along with her assistant, Ian Buurik. Uh, and we've seen that difference in tactics as well. So pretty different to last year. Something untangible is just this belief from the England squad, this something that you can't touch it's such an abstract concept and where does it come from it's the words that they say are actually put into action that they don't panic when they go down even when it went to penalties against Nigeria I felt quite comfortable because I know England have a plan and a process uh, so definitely a team that has overcome more adversity this time around than last year.
2: And under Viedman, um they've only had one loss, which we all know was, of course, against Australia in April in a friendly. Uh, Leah Williamson, sadly, she's not here at this tournament. She was captain that night. And and one of her quotes that some people sort of took uh, uh, to be perhaps a little self-serving, um, I think, has actually turned out to be right. She, she said, it's absolutely not a setback and it might be a blessing in disguise. So, you know, we're six... Of the other top ten nations already home, England deep in the tournament and one foot away from the final, uh, I think it's fair to say that that one loss that they had uh, has taken some of that. Well, I'm not going to call it. Well, I'm you know use the word complacency. So I guess by the very fact that I'm using that word suggests that they may uh, have been. But uh, but do you agree with uh, the summation that that it wasn't a setback and that it was a blessing in disguise?
5: Sometimes I, I think yes. And at the time, I thought, this is good for England, a good wake-up call. But that wake-up call hasn't um, borne the fruits that we expected. I think there have been a couple of warning signs against Brazil in the Finalissima in April, England scraped through on penalties. Then they lost to Australia. Uh, then they drew against Portugal, nil-nil. They drew against Canada behind closed doors. they there are several things that just aren't ticking for England. And it may be a blessing in disguise that they look at that game, and that is very much of She will analyse and analyse over and over of what they can take from that game. Um, but I am concerned that England still haven't hit their top form.
1: And there is a bit of familiarity between these two teams, like they. They both um, know each other pretty well. The players, particularly the Australian players, um, will uh, the England players know a lot about them from their from their club football, um, and also they match up quite well as well. I think MLI. they have both got rock solid defenses. They've got kind of quite progressive midfields, and they've got quite you know quite, quite a galaxy of different attacking options up front. Do you, where do you see the match? How do you see the match up in terms of the two formations and lineups, and where do you think the game could be won and lost?
5: It really depends if Wiegmann is going to stick to the back three. Um, that has been a change in her formation. So she's gone from a 4 3 3 to a 3 5 2. I think uh, Australia really going to hit um, those wing back positions. So Rachel Daly and Lucy Bronze have come up the pitch as England are playing with a back three. And that suits them because they're players that like to get forward. You'll often see them lurking at the back post. And that could be a real threat against Australia. But likewise, I expect to see Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford really getting at them and especially using their pace um down the wings. England have struggled in midfield against Columbia. They often hit those diagonal balls from defence uh, up top and have really bypassed Keira Walsh, who was the pivot and, and crucial to England's setup. And what Australia did really well against England, they just man-marked Keira Walsh out of the game and just removed her um, from those passing situations. Now, England had a backup because Leah Williamson was a very good ball carrier and progressive passer on the ball but england don't have that um so i expect australia to dominate in that midfield and i and i think with their attacking threat um that's where they can hurt england
1: one other area that will be under the spotlight is the goalkeepers as well they both had an interesting timeout uh last time round. obviously uh was was caught wanting for the columbia goal and i'll I'll um, maybe get your analysis on that in a minute. Mackenzie Arnold obviously had um, a tremendous game and someone was really a hero for Australia. Is, is that an area of the pitch that you think could be crucial as well? And where do you think Herbst's head will be at, having conceded that uh, that chipped goal against Colombia?
5: I don't think that will perturb her at all. Um, I interviewed Mary Erps. You can check it out on the Athletic My Game in My Words, where she analyses all her clips, um, of the Euros and her big saves. And she has that, it's not arrogance, it's just a swagger of um, belief and a very good connection with her back line. Um, regarding the Columbia goal that she conceded, I think she could have adjusted her body um, at the last minute, but it's a very, very split-second decision to move your feet so quickly. But the problem was Rachel Daly at wing back allowing her too much space and not getting out uh, to the Columbia goal scorer quick enough. Um, and, and we've seen that again. That is a weakness in England's side. But Mary Earp's, it's not only her saves, it's how she dictates play and dictates the tempo, knows when to lie on the ball and just give her team a tactical breath. Uh, her distribution um, and and a real leader on the pitch, you can hear her. But I don't think we will be able to hear her given the Australian crowd.
2: So, Charlotte, last time we had you on, I, I asked uh, you whether the, uh, the football's coming home uh, uh, chant had, had begun. I actually saw uh, a, a fan in the stadium, at the stadium Australia at home, Bush, carrying the sign. And uh, and so I thought, okay, well, it's, it's starting. So so in the context of the fact that the Premier League has just started this weekend, uh, I, I read a lot of The Athletic, the BBC and, and various other publications as Derek and the boys do. We can't get enough content. Uh, so I'm seeing at times obviously the Premier League's bumping the Women's World Cup off the lead story. But on other occasions, the World Cup's Back in there, bumping it off. So, uh, are you sensing the build over the course of the the three weeks of the tournament back at home? And uh, and are we seeing some genuine hype and expectation, and, and and some degree of similarity with what we would see if it was the uh, if it was the men?
5: I don't think you can compare that to the men's coverage. Um, but it's leading BBC sports news items like the ten o'clock news. It's leading the front page front pages of newspapers. So yes, it's definitely capturing uh, the nation's attention. Um, We have Box Park in London, in Croydon, and at Wembley, they were packed against uh, Colombia to watch that match. Um, And as I think I said three weeks ago, as soon as England have a chance at winning something, then the non-football followers turn their attention to it. And some people actually find it uh, a bit of a relief from the relentlessness of the Premier League. Um, it's like the, the Wimbledon or the Ashes, it's refreshing. Uh, so, yeah, the attention is definitely ramping up here in England.
2: And um, and on the flip side, are you getting the sense of how big it's become in Australia, this ride that the Matildas have gone on? We saw the reaction in New Zealand when... The uh, the football ferns beat Norway in that opening match. That really brought the, the the tournament to light in that country. But the fact that the Matildas are going as deep as they can, the Sam Sam Kerr story, um, are uh, are you seeing a, in in your local reporting just how big it's become over here? And and I guess I'm going to also add to that question: Is there a, a genuine sense that despite the fact that Vegman is uh, uh, the maestro of managers right now and this team has, as you described, that sort of uh, uh, that intangible feeling within the squad, a feeling that um, that Australia might have the momentum on their side.
5: Absolutely. I We have definitely felt the kind of ripple effects, mainly through um, talking to journalists out there of just conversations that you hear in cafes of, you know, Who's Tony Gustafsson gonna start? What about Sam Kerr? And it, it, f- I'd love to hear from you, but it feels like it has really lifted off um, in Australia, and, um, I, I am, I can't call it. I think it's going to be really, really tight. What Wiegmann did so well in the Netherlands in Euro 2017, when she was the Netherlands coach, and in England. Last year, when it was both, so she's managed both home Euros, is capture that crowd, capture the fans. She told the players to go and clap, go and always do your stadium loop after the game to get the fans on board. And I think that'll be really tricky for England. Uh, They haven't played against such a hostile uh, crowd. And it was a real boost in the Euros when. Mary Earp said the Spain game was exhausting. The Germany final was. You just you just need some energy from somewhere, and the crowd provide that. So that is a big, big plus for Australia.
2: Yeah, look, it, it's incredible, and and the fact that we're talking about Australia playing England in football. Uh, is is somewhat surreal in in many respects, regardless of whether it's a men's or a women's tournament. Uh, uh, we've seen so many big names get knocked over like nine pins throughout the course of this tournament. Uh, the path has been cleared for this uh, this match to to take place, and and the oldest of enemies, but you know, in the friendliest of fashions for the most part. Um, I, I really get a lock horns uh, on Wednesday night our time and and morning. So, uh, Charlotte, you enjoy it from, from home. We've really appreciated your coverage and you're giving us the context and perspective uh, not only from a football expert point of view but also from uh, back in the, the UK. Um, I don't know that I can, uh, with um, with good faith, wish you good luck, but uh, I hope uh, it's an incredible match. And if it goes anywhere near the distance that that match against France did and we get anywhere near the excitement and drama uh, it could be one of the greatest uh, iterations of an Australia England sporting uh, match ever played in any sport.
5: Yeah, likewise, Rob. I'm not sure what the words are. No. Watch well. <laughs> Hope your nerves are okay. Hope yeah. your heart's okay. Well, mate, yeah. They're shredded
2: already. I promise you that the uh, the heart was during that you watched that that uh, that shootout and. It, it was someone described it as uh, as uh, almost as if somebody was choking in a Wimbledon final, that they had two set points and they just couldn't convert. And you thought, no, they're not going to do a Jan and a Votner on us. and uh, uh, But they didn't, and uh, they got through. So, uh, geez, imagine if it is a penalty shootout but um, we'll, there won't be any fingernails left.
5: No, no, there sure won't be. But um, it's great for the tournament. Yeah. It's really, really good that Australia have got so deep into the tournament. And, um yeah. It's cliched, but for, for women's football in general and, and the growth of the game.
2: Yeah, I love it. Always the winner. We'll take that and, and we'll end on that. No, Charlotte Harper from The Athletic, it's been a delight to talk to you again and um, and we hope to talk to you again soon.
5: Thanks so much, Rob.
2: Okay, stick around. We'll work up corner after the break on Box to Box. Willa, willa, willa. Everybody's buy white spices. Wella, wella, wella. Guys, uh, I talked about this minestrone last week. I made it last night and i used all my herbs and spices i used my Hort's bay leaf derrick nothing you could gets done without a bay leaf, does it? adds that extra depth of flavour. I use my four-colour peppercorn mix, some of the hoits, Himalayan rock salt, but also use some of that dried oregano as well, that real deep flavour that you get with all my vegetables, my pasta, my chicken stock, all those sorts of things. Simmered it for about three hours, and it fed can taste delicious. It just tastes like vegetable soup, will if it didn't have the hoits?
4: Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly the case. Can you go the rosemary in addition to the bay leaf, Rob? You could go with rosemary. I tend not
2: to. I like uh, rosemary in uh, a few other things. Lamb is always a classic uh, potatoes, roast potatoes with garlic. Uh, it puts garlic powder um, if you really want to make a delicious roast potato. But uh, no, it really does change the mood of food. And uh, uh, Derek, you been cooking anything um, over the last few days, mate?
1: Yeah, I've just cooked up my chicken Marbella.
2: We very, very easy
1: um, Middle Eastern uh, food to make. And I did put white spailies in there. In fact, I'm running low, so I'm going to have to pop down the shops and, uh, and buy some more. But it's always good to have them dried in the pantry there because they're always ready to go. And there is some of that dried oregano or oregano in there too. So might have to that's what's on the Dyson menu this
2: week. Yeah, sounds delicious. might my Johnny Ocato? from Hoyts, I bet you he would have a nice little stock for you. Hoyts, the best in herbs, spices and pickled vegetables at Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets.
0: Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse.
1: Great savings
0: every day. And Hoyts Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food.
1: And this could
4: be the most crucial goal of all.
2: Pretty much uh, one of our, our last editions of of World Cup corner for the women's iteration. We'll uh, we'll always find something to talk to in the, in the corner of the program. It may not necessarily be World Cup, it might be Asian Cup corner. Now we've got to regroup and, and, and have a, a sort of a team meeting on how that plays out after the event finishes because we've just gone from World Cup to World Cup and we have to consider that eventually there's not going to be a World Cup to talk about for a little while at
4: least. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that, Rob, but we've got a couple of strong additions to go, so don't get too excited just yet. And I want to talk about the TV numbers. They were huge. Seven West Media estimates an average audience of 4.1%. 7 million watched the Matildas on Saturday. That figure does not factor in out-of-home viewership at pubs, venues or live sites. The preliminary OzTAM readings found viewership peaked at 4.43 million which comfortably surpassed the 3.6 that watched the sides win against Denmark which was the 2023 record. Uh, Australia's record TV viewership is reported to stand at 8.8 million viewers of Cathy Freeman's 400 metre final at the Sydney 2000 Games and I remember watching that uh, with my mum at a little flat in carnegie when i was three that is one of my earliest memories uh although these figures did fall under pre-oztam measurements um i was expect- there that night by the way yeah I sitting i could sitting so close to the olympic flame i could feel the heat on my back so not contributing to the
2: record numbers no, i was just one of the hundred and ten thousand or so people in the
4: stadium sorry carry on uh you'll think that we, we as a collective would break uh, that 4.43 record on Wednesday night because that is genuine clear air with no um, AFL, NRL, whatever people might be doing on a Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. community sport, um, Wednesday night, 8pm, that's about as clear as it gets uh, and pretty much every other television network, network has pulled their flagship shows off, they're just not going to compete Um yeah, and against England, all off the back of the uh, the emotion, the emotion of that last result.
2: Yeah, and well, Derek, you're our resident TV expert. You, you know your sort of day job before you you leap into the uh, telephone booth and uh, and put your Superman cape on and start doing box to box. Your observations have gone to you the last couple of weeks. So how much bigger can it get?
1: Well, it certainly can for the for the reasons that, that William outlined, and obviously the. The notoriety, I suppose, and uh, the, the momentum that the tournament's getting. The fact it's England, I'm sure, will will pull more punters in as well. We'll never know the true numbers, of course, because we don't know about the live sites and how many people go there. But but obviously, you know, even at the weekend, they, they moved the move, the news, which is sacrosanct on uh, Australian broadcasting, the move the footy. They even had the football playing in the concourses around some of the AFL grounds. Um, and you, you saw scenes of fans there punching the air with delight as there was a uh, an, an AFL game going on or just bad stuff.
2: Yeah, and I've got to say that I love AFL footy. Huge Collingwood fan. Grew up in the heartland of Western Sydney. Love my rugby league as well. But the irony is not lost on me that the stadium that wasn't available to host Games of the World Cup, regardless of whether FIFA have got policies or whatever, I noticed some pretty circular stadiums over there in New Zealand hosting games. So they could have played matches at the MCG if they'd have wanted to and got 100,000 people. um, I maintain that it was because of the collective muscle of the AFL and the Victorian state government's lack of will, uh, the very fact that they had no choice. And then you get Gillen McGolkin coming out and being the great statesman that he is saying that it's it's a victory for women's sport. No, you had to do this. You had no choice because it would have been embarrassing if your – Carlton Melbourne supporters that have chosen not to turn up uh, and chosen to stay at home, and you'd lost 30,000 people off the head count. Willem.
4: Is that not the victory, though? I completely agree with you I, with the AFL's sort of hypocrisy I, and their track record on how they've treated other codes. That that's my and point. flexed the muscle, but that is the the victory, and that the yeah. AFL were you know arm wrestled into taking these actions because they would have lost viewership 100%. Yeah, that that,
2: that is that is my point. The fact that uh, it's um, I think uh, King Canute. Uh, trying well, he famously uh, was uh, making a point at one particular point to his people who thought he was all conquering in uh, in the early days of the uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, he he went to the beach, didn't he, Derek? And and to prove that he couldn't conquer everything, he demanded the tide not come in, and it did come in. Uh, so
4: let's just call Gillan McLaughlin, um, Canute McLaughlin, for the purpose of this conversation. All right, well, one person who wasn't part of the 4.43 million viewers, I'm not sure if Gil was watching or not, but one who certainly wasn't was Nationals MP Barnaby (laughs) Joyce, who's admitted he watched the wrong Matilda's game on Saturday night, cheering the side home to an easy victory in what was the 1 0 friendly against France from July. Let's listen to a little bit of Barnaby's best on Sunrise. So, in Australia tonight,
1: this
4: is what's happening. Here we go. Drive it from there. Uh,
2: well, I went to the pub and watched them on the weekend, but I think—and you'll see it on the Facebook post—I think we're watching the wrong game. I think they'd put on a repeat because it was on Channel Ten. I mm, thought it was the right one, but because when we <laughs> finished the what? game, Australia won one nil in full time. So we were Barnaby. like, oh, "That's good, still won." Um,
0: <laughs> Barnaby, just to <laughs> let you know, the Matildas won.
4: I know. It was an incredible <laughs> penalty, penalty shootout, which we, never, we went and had dinner because we thought they'd won one nil. So he was at the commercial hotel in Walcher, New South Wales. Rob, I'm sure you know where that is. He posted that video that you heard at the start of that clip to his Facebook account, applauding the effort. Yeah, there were 20-odd boomers watching the game, cheering him on, going, hit it, shoot. Um, it was, and staff members then did later confirm that they showed the Channel 10 replay rather than the game on seven. Such is life, said Barnaby. Fair and That is extraordinary.
2: It's bizarre. Look, I have heard that happen before, where um, the AFL Grand Final was exclusive to Channel Seven, and and I spoke to somebody once who watched. Uh, I think it was the Sydney West Coast Grand Final of two thousand and six, and they watched the two thousand and five Grand Final, which was a different result. My so, point again. So, yeah, you know, well, it's once my point the first time, but West Coast the following year. Remember, so well, yes. uh, so uh, uh, look. It's funny, and, and to be fair, at least Barnaby is the kind of clown that can laugh at his own uh foibles and just do it with a straight face. It it it, it was comic, though, Derek.
1: Yeah, no, I've I'm, my dad has done this recently as well. We were watching uh there was an Arsenal game on TV, but it was about fifteen years old, and Arsenal, uh, Patrick Vieira, and Thierry Henry were playing. And it was still kind of <laughs> Getting into it and saying, "Oh, what a great game it was!" And I'd point out there was a replay from 15 years ago. So I think it happened happens uh, happens to the best of them. But surely there must have been some tells, telltale signs in the tone of the commentary, the tone of the crowd uh, that this that you know this this wasn't the game. But uh, you know, Barney's probably got other other things on his mind.
4: My old man's been watching cricket his whole life and the amount of times he celebrates the replay of the wicket. Oh, Hazelwood, he's taken eight in the past five minutes. Come on, switch on. I just want to close with a word on Hervé Renard, one of my favourite people in football. Uh, He had some really classy words off the back of the penalty loss to Australia. He said, now we have to look forward. We're organising the Olympic Games in Paris, so we're awaiting you. We'll have our revenge, which was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but he went on to say, I'm wishing you all the best. I would like to repeat one more time, this competition was fantastic for us. Beautiful cities, beautiful stadiums. The atmosphere was fantastic. It's a shame for us to go home, but all the best to you now, being Australia, I'm sure you can win this World Cup. And, of course, Rob, we know how good-looking this man is, how masculine he is, how many people mm-hmm. are drawn to his strong, mm-hmm. open-chested, white, crisp shirt look on the touchline. When you, mm-hmm. when I Googled, because I saw these quotes and then I wanted to grab them, so I Googled Herve Renard Matildas, and there it is, news.com. Matildas fans can't help swooning over French coach. Mm-hmm. Fans around the globe have assembled in awe after spotting France's dream boat coach. Aussie fans have been unable to resist the fact French coach Herve Renard is really, really ridiculously good-looking, looking into those eyes. It's like you heard the Beatles for the first time.
2: Who, who's, uh, whose on is that, Willem? Um, do you know? Staff riders. Ah, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, good on you, Herve. Yeah, enough to make a, well, a straight man to it. And um, so, uh, yeah, good-looking <laughs> Rooster, he that is. But, uh, no, well said and obviously famously... Uh, the manager of the Saudi Arabian team to beat Argentina in the World Cup, which the Argentines ultimately won. Right, boys. Well, let's wrap it up there. Um, Edge has gone off to to do what Edge does, uh, world's busiest man. Um, he uh, he's got uh, lots of family, uh, well, friends, I should say, uh, of the families of of the players, and uh, he's, he's involved in, in management, etc. So, uh, Derek, um, you enjoy the, uh, the, the the big Wednesday night, mate. You you. Who, who are you going for, mate? I, I haven't asked you that question yet.
1: I don't feel strongly about it, Rob. I'm going to enjoy the game. I think whoever goes through, um, it will be good to get behind them in the final. So yeah, just uh, just looking forward to it, Rob.
2: Sometimes under those circumstances, you only find out during the tournament. I remember I grew up following Cronulla in the in the rugby league, and I and they famously never won a premiership. And the year I turned fifty in 2016, um, they finally broke through, and I'd hope after being in Melbourne for 20 years, that that Melbourne were not going to be one of the teams that they played or Parramatta because I grew up in that area and it just happened to be Melbourne. And I was wondering, because I'd been covering the storm for so many years, whether I would be able to barrack like I did as a kid for Cronulla to win the grand final and it came out of me. Late uh, when uh, when Cooper Cronk was trying to set up a try, and I know this is a football program, but hey, it's another form of football, and and it just came out from the very guts. So I'll be interested to to ask you this question next week if it is a tight game. Did you find something visceral inside of you that demanded that you had to go for one of the two? Hold that thought. Well, well done. You're you for you, the Derek. next few days, mate. And uh, look, bury the lead. We we are going to regroup after the the, um, the the semi-finals, and we're going to do a special edition of Stoppage Time. So so keep a, a look out in your, your feeds because we're going to do a preview, a wrap of whatever happens in the semis, and a preview of the, the final weekend. So so it's not all done for for this week. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe to us. Please spread the word to stoppage time offside as well, wherever you get your podcasts. Twitter us at Box to Box NTS. It's called X now. In brackets, formerly known as Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout
0: the week as our podcast drop. we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.